Welcome to season two of Sorting Pen, the California Cattlemen's podcast. Every day, the California Cattlemen's Association is sorting through the issues impacting California's ranching families and producers. To communicate those issues, discuss solutions, and keep ranchers current on the hot topics, CCA leadership developed this podcast. Well, welcome back to another episode of Sorting Pin. We are on season two, episode seven, and I'm in Sacramento today with our contract lobbyist, Jason Bryant of Bryant Government Affairs. Jason, how's it going in Sacramento? Good to see you. It's good to see you too, and it's good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. And to answer your question, you know, the springtime is is the busy time in the state legislature with the number of bills that CCA is engaged in, both uh, sponsoring legislation this year and and then working our advocacy efforts and opposing a number of bills too. So uh, it's, it's quite the period of time. And, and you couple that with what's going on in the state budget and the issues that we're, we're fighting for. It's a, it's a really busy season. Yeah. Lots going on. We'll tackle all of those issues another day, but I've been teasing since the beginning of season two. And like I said, we're on episode seven. So for a couple of weeks now um, that we were going to talk about redistricting in California, what that means for the whole state, obviously, but what that means more for our members and cattle producers across the state. Cal Matters had an article that was called The Great Resignation. So we've been seeing in the news just so many legislatures are going to be leaving California's legislature. But it's kind of without being in Sacramento and living in the world that you live every day. I think it's hard to really understand what this actually means and the significance of it. Yeah, some of us were shifted to a new district or our map looks a little different now. But in California, it's hard to really understand how impactful this change is going to be. So maybe a good place to start about why did this even happen? How often does this happen? Have you seen this happen? Why? Yeah, you bet. I think I'll start by saying that, you know, our success in the capital um, as an association with our government affairs program is reliant upon the relationships we have with legislative leadership, committee chairs, and those legislators that represent agriculture districts and districts where we we are ranching. And those relationships have been built over many, many years. And so what we're seeing heading into the 2022 election cycle is a tremendous amount of change in who's running for those legislative seats. And so of course that makes us a bit nervous, frankly. Not that we're not up to the task, but anytime you have a tremendous amount of change in the capital and you are you're faced with building new relationships with with candidates who are running for office, who are perhaps going to be elected uh, here in November, who will be sworn in for the first time, who might be taking on new leadership positions. You know, it's incumbent upon us to get to know those individuals so that by the time they get here and the session kicks off in, in January of 2023, we can communicate with those with those new lawmakers and, and they can understand the importance of ranching and the issues that are important to us. And so when you see a tremendous amount of change like we're seeing, we've got to get ahead of it. And so getting ahead of it requires us to know, I think, why it's happening and who it will affect. And there's two major factors that uh, are driving the kind of change that we're anticipating seeing in this legislature. And the first item is, is term limits. In 2012, the largest assembly and, and Senate class was elected in many, many years. And that was because the districts were redrawn in 2011. And so the first class of lawmakers was elected in 2012. 
we saw 39 new members of the assembly elected in 2012. One of those members was Frank Bigelow. That was his first year in office. And that was a, a large class of assembly members. Fast forward 10 years later, and many of those assembly members have decided that 10 years was enough. And there's a, perhaps another local office that they'd like to run for. Perhaps there's a new congressional district that is appealing to them. Or perhaps that their time in public service has ended and they're retiring. And so after 10 years, you really do see a number of lawmakers look at other opportunities. They're looking for greener pastures. Sure. 10 years is a long time. It's hard to believe that class was 10 years ago. Yeah. But for them, it probably seems longer. It, it flies by. And although term limits allows members of the legislature to serve up to 12 years, of course, it doesn't require them to. And so many members are, are looking to do different things with their careers. And the next factor that's really, really critical is the 2021 redistricting process. Every decade, the U.S. Census Bureau conducts the national census and determines who lives where. And right after that, California has what we call a Citizens Redistricting Commission, which establishes the legislative district lines based on that census. And they craft those lines to make sense of the regions of the state and to ensure fair representation in the Assembly and the Senate and some of the statewide offices as well. And so that process was concluded late last year. And of course, if you're in office, you're now going to run for a new term in that new district. So you may have been representing a district uh, up until this, this year currently, and now you're going to have to consider running for a new district. And that district may be slightly different. It may be substantially different. And that is having an effect on decision-making when it comes to lawmakers looking to run for re-election this year. Some members of the legislature are in a district that no longer looks anything like the district that they represented or they're representing today. And so they've decided that rather than run for a district that they don't feel comfortable running in, that doesn't perhaps align with their political philosophies, they're retiring. And I think one great example of that is a good friend and ally Assemblymember Jordan Cunningham from San Luis Obispo. His district was largely San Luis Obispo County and now has gravitated significantly north to encompass Monterey County and Santa Cruz County. And so that district is no longer favorable to a candidate like Jordan Cunningham, who, again, is a great ally of CCA and a, and a great lawmaker. But he's decided not to run for re-election this year. And so he'll be retiring from the state legislature. And then a new candidate will run in that seat. We're seeing that up and down the state. Yeah. Do you have numbers on how many people are exiting because of the redistricting process? Or is it all kind of lumped together? It's really interesting to see the numbers on what lawmakers are, are doing. There are six members of the legislature who decided to run for Congress. And some of those congressional seats those members of Congress are retiring. And so lawmakers in the state assembly and Senate are looking to run for Congress in those open seats. Five members of the legislature have decided to run for supervisor or mayor, local office. There are at least 14 members that are not running for re-election to the state assembly or Senate. Uh, and there's a variety of factors. Some are taking different career paths. Some are getting new jobs. Some are moving on to another line of work. And some are, are at the end of their public service. And so all total, we're looking at 
about 26 new members of the legislature heading into 2023 because of all that movement. There'll be a huge incoming class of lawmakers in 2023 in January 1, 2023, after this election cycle. On top of that, the 2012 class that was sworn in will be terming out on 2024. And so all of those seats will be changed with new lawmakers coming in for another 12 years. And so you couple 2022 and 2024 election years and you see more than 25 or 30 percent of the legislature turning over. It's a significant change. So, yeah, that's a significant change in the fact that a third of the legislature that you spent your time, CCA spent time on connecting with, getting to know, being on a first name basis with is now leaving, which brings in a third new people that you have to start this process all over with. I'm sure that's a little overwhelming. And in some ways, maybe that's an opportunity. Maybe you're getting rid of some that you're like, thank God that one's out. I could see how you'd say it could be a little nerve wracking for sure. Yeah, it's a huge challenge for the government affairs team. One of our closest allies and friends, Assemblymember Patrick O'Donnell from Long Beach, chair of the Education Committee, a really, really great uh, friend and ally of CCA. He has decided that he's not going to run free election. He could have and would have been easily elected uh, in his seat down on Long Beach. But he decided that this was enough. Ten years was enough. And so he's moving on. So who ends up chairing the education committee is is hugely important to us. And, and so, yes, we have to then figure out how do we replace those relationships, build those allies, and get them in a position where they can help lead on issues that are important to ranchers. And that is the constant pressure that we're under to identify those friends and allies and find those opportunities and nurture those relationships. But of course, when when change happens this quickly and this significantly, you really have to work overtime to make sure that our issues can be considered at the right time. We talked about this being a busy year already for the government affairs team, but on top of tracking legislation, supporting legislation, trying to kill legislation, now you're also trying to track 26 new seats coming in, correct? Before the new year? That's right. Uh, the June primary is is right around the corner. There are a number of candidates coming to town uh, to meet with organizations to understand their issues and to seek support from those associations. And so we're trying to weed through all of that activity and to try to find opportunities. We know that we can't meet every single candidate. We may not be able to support every single candidate, but which candidates are attractive to us? Which candidates do we think we can who can lead on our issues and which candidates can we engage in and invest in? And that's, we're trying to do that in real time as we're also managing our legislative priorities and, and regulatory port- priorities in Sacramento. It's a huge challenge, but it's, but it's hugely important. Once the primary is over, it, then we shift immediately to the, to the general election. And that's in November, of course. Once the primaries are over, is that when things will really start heating up? I feel like I haven't heard, maybe I'm just out of the loop, but much about it being an election year. And I don't know if that's just coming off of last year. Is that kind of when we'll hear more about who's running and it'll be more in front of the public facing who's not involved in the Sacramento world every day? People really begin to focus in on the election after the June primary. And it really isn't until towards the end of the summer where, where things begin to ramp up. What's unique about California's election system is that we have a top two primary. And so the top two vote getters, no matter the partisan registration of those two vote getters, automatically run off into the November election. And that allows us to evaluate candidates, perhaps two Democrats or perhaps two Republicans, and to determine whether or not one of those candidates who might run off against a same party candidate is preferable 
to the livestock industry. And we're seeing more of that. And we're seeing it on both sides. And so we might see the association look at a race where the seat is a safe Democrat seat or perhaps a safe Republican seat and look at a candidate on the basis of which one would perform better for us as an association in the legislature and create better balance on the issues that are important. And we might decide in the primary to pick one of those candidates, or we might decide to wait until after the primary to determine if it's a top two. And in many cases, it will be. And so that's the evaluation and the sort of the strategy that that we look at is how do we identify those opportunities so that after the November election, we have candidates on both sides of the aisle that appreciate and are willing to step up and engage on the issues that are important to CCA. Definitely lots of strategy going into this even before the election, which you probably don't always hear about, like I said, unless you're Jason Brandt, a lobbyist in Sacramento. You mentioned having candidates on both sides of the aisle. Um, How important is that in California's legislature having both sides? It's critically important. You know, oftentimes I think we consume media, whether it be on, on TV or whether it be in print, whether it be social media, and we kind of assume that a lot of the issues are driven on the political fringes of both sides of the debate. And, and while I think that's absolutely relevant to how decisions are made, what we've always found is that compromise does occur, and it occurs frequently. And we know that that's where it, big issues are ultimately negotiated. And I think that's where CCA has been really successful in positioning itself as to try to find common ground between uh, perhaps the extremes and to try to forge compromise when it's critical to do so. And I think finding candidates that can be put in a position to help us do that is is really important because we know heading into the next decade that the makeup of the legislature is going to be heavily favored for the Democratic majority that's in place now. In fact, Democrats enjoy what we call a supermajority or a mega majority, where two-thirds of the House is controlled, uh, both houses, Senate and Assembly, is controlled by the Democratic majority. And that's going to be the case for the next decade, based on the numbers and based on the seats that have been recently drawn and the partisan makeup of those seats. And so we have to anticipate what the environment and landscape looks like and work within those given terms and bring out the best candidates in those seats who can really effectively push on our issues. For California, this is going to be a huge change. But for ranchers and livestock producers, ultimately, what do you think they should really take away from this? If they have maybe like in San Luis Obispo, Assemblymember Cunningham isn't running again. Where should they go for more information or what's their next step in this process? Well, I think the, I think the next step is to be aware that the organization is committed to building new allies. And it has to be. You know, we live in a very dynamic environment and then it's going to be even more dynamic and more more change in the next uh, 12 to 24 months. The association needs to be engaged in building these new relationships with new candidates and turn them into ranching champions, people who can understand what's critical for us and ultimately move an agenda through this legislature. And I think the organization has to be comfortable and open to meeting uh, new people and perhaps new people who represent maybe a different party than the previous legislator, that is the natural change in the political landscape that we're seeing in certain parts of the state. And we just have to be willing to adapt to that. And 
be willing to engage with candidates that that are new to some of these questions. That creates opportunity for us. And we're not afraid to kind of jump into it and engage with those new candidates because I think they're wanting to know what's important for CCA. I think you're right. It definitely creates opportunities. And while I think it actually might create more work for you and maybe for the association as a whole, it's giving us probably some good time to think about maybe new ways we can engage legislatures. It's definitely the world is a different place than it was 10 years ago or even three years ago. This gives us an opportunity to look at really how we do things and how we engage with this new incoming class. We did some research where we surveyed in partnership with the California Cattle Council. We surveyed key lawmakers in the legislature, key members of the, the governor's administration. And we asked them, you know, who is the best messenger for, you know, livestock related issues? Who do you trust? And we, we took a strong look in the mirror. We also surveyed other, other stakeholders, whether they be partners of ours or even adversaries. And what we found is that the voice of individual ranchers was some of the strongest messengers for our issues that can be found. Respondents felt that they, those individuals can be trusted. They're professional. It's their business. They understand it. And them communicating it personally to policymakers and elected officials is very effective. And, you know, what's less effective is uh, hired professionals, although critical, they're less effective messengers than the individuals themselves. And I think we're proud of that uh, statistic because in many cases, I think we can utilize our membership to engage uh, with new lawmakers and ensure that they're getting good information from the people who are actually doing this on the ground. And I think that's a great opportunity for us. Yeah, I'm so happy that you mentioned that survey and that result. Is that survey or those results something that you had had before specifically with that question? Like, who do you trust? Is that new research that you have? It really is new. We concluded this just before COVID and we did these one-on-one interviews. And, you know, we suspected that encompassing our grassroots in some of our advocacy work would be effective. We were pleasantly surprised that that was the most persuasive and effective messenger is having your members deliver the message with you in a coordinated way. Yeah, that's great feedback. And unfortunately, I guess that probably could change with the legislature having a third of it turnover in the next two years. But for now, I think that that should give everyone listening some great inspiration and maybe just a little bit of push. If you've been hesitant to engage before, if CCA contacts you or sends out something about needing your help in Sacramento or even just writing a letter, making a phone call, um, hopefully that gives you the little push maybe that you needed because it really does make a difference. And I think the more that we get into this and the more turnover there is, the more we're going to need all of our members to be engaged and step up and just use their voice because you are trusted in Sacramento. And that's a really great takeaway. Well, Jason, I think we covered everything on redistricting. I think so. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with me. It's fun to get more of a glimpse into what the government affairs team does. Um, so I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. But until then, enjoy your spring. Yes. Thanks for the opportunity. Enjoyed it very much. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason.